five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. Boy, we got a lot on the docket today. <laughs> and to start with, let's talk about Dear Santa, uh, the, an operation that the USPS not only runs, but there's going to be a Hulu six-part film about. And here's the trailer. Children all around the world. He's gonna know what I want because I'm writing a letter. Dear Santa. Dear Santa. Dear Santa. Santa gets quite a few letters. We will send those to the North Pole today. Santa needs elves because this is a really big world and he can't possibly do it all himself. The more children there are, the harder it was to answer all the letters. experience of helping others. We have elves where the letters are. We're going to decide which letters to adopt. Oh my god, I want to pick them up. Think of it as Santa's special forces that we make sure that these kids are going to get their Christmas presents. I invite you to read the letters and see what touches your heart. Dear Santa, I want Ted Buddies for Christmas. I love rabbits. They just filled my heart up with joy. The Christmas season is a little rough. I'm struggling, trying to make a way. We had to move because the fire burned our house. His 11-year-old kid asked for nothing for himself. Talked about how loving and awesome his single mother was, and she did the best that she could. The kid is only asking for love. How can you not grab this letter? When people write these letters, they're send it out into the world, message in a bottle type deal. I just feel like it's my duty to bring joy. It would mean so much to me for my kids to have a wonderful Christmas. I'm getting ready to cry now just thinking about it like it's, it will be a blessing. Today we are wrapping presents for 62 letters and 171 people and one cat dookie. We're planning for success, but I'm still 25 letters off. It's down to the wire. Go team! We are here together. We are one. Let's have this moment of unity. Delivery from Santa. Never know how you benefited someone's life. Nice to feel remembered and to know that people still care. Ah, isn't that something? So anyway, apparently, apparently they're allowed to open Santa's mail. <clears throat> I don't know how that works legally, but anyway, what we found out about, um, what we found out about was that, uh, we had Ray from from USPS come and uh, USPS Innovation, and uh, I didn't know all this. You know, that's the funny part. Forty years in direct mail, and I didn't know what the post office did with the Santa letters. Um, Steve Falk informed us that in Canada there was actually a postal code uh, numbered Ho, Ho, Ho. It's funny because they, they have letters in the beginning and end of the first three digits. So H, zero, H, and then zero, H, zero. Uh, <laughs> and so we thought that was pretty clever. We, see what you learn on these jingle mingles? <coughs> and so <coughs> Steve said, because <coughs> I read an article saying that this kid wrote to Santa, but Santa never wrote back, and that sounded bad. 
So in Canada, they, they, they have the actual postal carriers return a letter from Santa. Write it back to the kid. And uh, they, 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 I don't know if it's after hours or what, but apparently the postal carriers get a big kick out of it. And so all across Canada, they, they, they re- reply. And so I said to Ray, hey, how come we don't do that in the USA? How come kids don't get replies from Santa? Couldn't you automate that or something? And he said, as a matter of fact, we do write back. And, uh, and so this Hulu film series, which I'm going to try and figure out how to watch because I don't ha- I've never been on Hulu that I know of. My TV has a button for it. <laughs> so maybe it'll give me a 30-day trial. And I will watch that. It looks like a, quite the tearjerker to me. Um, but I just wanted you to know, you know, take extra time today to tell you about what USPS is doing. And if you think those jingle mingle fun little get togethers are, are nothing, well, you know, they can, they can change your business. They can change your perspective. You'll always learn a lot and you'll meet some great people that you may not, as Mary England up at Amazon Graphics says, I meet people on there that I never would meet no matter what. It's like we even had Mohammed even did dial in from the Gambia. So we had our first African participant. Uh, we didn't the connection didn't work very well, sadly. We'll figure that out. But Mohammed, uh, I keep giving a shout out to Mohammed because it was great that he tried. Uh, I really like to get Mark Ritson in on this. And uh, Matthew Parker's done a few of them, so and he he expressed regrets that he wasn't able to make this one, but we can't schedule them around everybody's availability. <laughs> In this case, I just took the uh, graphics from last year, and you know, now next year I'll have to have new graphics because it'll be on a Sunday, I think. But you know, if I can <laughs> if I can leverage, that's really good. And uh, Sam Fong made it from Colony which was really nice. We had some really great people. So, so no, let's have a great day. I'm going to go on. No, now we're going to get over to the real news. That's what you got to do, right? You got to talk about the real news. So, first off, I thought this was a great, uh, a great article by my friend Ray Schultz, Global Marketing Blunders and the Steps to Avoid Them. And uh, New Global Trends, Sustainability, Cost of Living Crisis, Democratization of t- content, no idea what that is. Uh, the blockchain and metaverse, again, not sure what that means to me. Traditional experts have advised international marketers to think globally, act locally, but the study recommends these additional steps. Okay, and this is a global, what's the name of the thing? By Work, sponsored by Frontify. Um so apparently there's a white paper and there's no doesn't seem to be a link. So usually there's a link, but I don't see one today. Um, maybe write to Ray and ask him. Um, get the model right. Select the model and structure to manage your brand depending on the size and resources of your company. In other words, if you have an international brand, then you better have a two-way process. You better ask more than just the translator <laughs> Because the biggest issue, probably the number one issue in the global blunders that we're going to touch on, were on translation. They were pretty much all translation. 
So don't just let the translator tell you that this is fine. <laughs> you need to get some, you need to get some people out there in the real world. Presumably, if you market into another country, you'll have distribution and other other people there that you can talk to. So you make sure you run it by them. Uh, the the famous one that isn't included is is the Chevy Nova, and Nova, of course, is a stellar term of a, a star exploding and killing everything around it. Um, but which is bad enough, you know. <laughs> it's, a bright spot in the sky, but not for the people in the neighborhood. And uh, but you know, Nova means I. That means you 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 don't go. <laughs> no go. It's a no go. So that was again a translation error. Okay. Um, and there's nothing said here about privacy legislation or other local factors that might impact you. Um, but you know, getting connection with your with your distribution in these other countries. Procter & Gamble finished, f featured an image of a stork delivering a baby when selling uh, pampers. I think it's selling papers, <laughs> pampers in Japan. But there is no stork delivering babies culture in Japan. And there isn't much of one in, in America either, really. KFC in China translated, eat your fingers off. <laughs> Ford in Belgium translated, every car has a high-quality corpse. A Kia's full speed came out as fartful. Mercedes-Benz, Benzi in the Chinese market means rush to die. Procter & Gamble tried to introduce VIX into the German market, but VIX is pronounced with an F, which is the F word. Nothing sucks like an Electrolux. You know, and Ritson might like this because... It'll bring you salience. <laughs> It'll get you attention, <laughs> which he says is probably more important in today's clutter dump heap than anything. It's nothing sucks like an Electrolux. That's a pretty good, I think that's a pretty good, you know, suction is important in vacuum cleaners. Pe Pepsi brings you back from the grave in China. Coca-Cola in China bite a wax tadpole. And HBC spent millions on its Assume Nothing campaign, but in many countries the message was do nothing. Okay, which brings us to Helen Edwards' article on why today's marginal behaviors are tomorrow's pot of gold. Okay, and this article didn't go the way I was hoping. Okay, so I'll tell you where it went. And uh, she, she's got a new book coming out, Helen does. Uh, from marginal to mainstream, and she says we can be a bit more like Phil Knight, who was the founder or co-founder of Nike. Apparently, Phil and his co-founder, who's mentioned later, uh, went to New Zealand, and they saw people jogging around. You know, New Zealand is a very outdoorsy country, and so rather than people going to the gym, people would put on a pair of tennis shoes and jog through the weather. And so Nike then became a uh, an introducer, I suppose, a uh, influencer of jogging as fitness for um, the rest of the world. And Phil says we may not have we may not have invented jogging, but we certainly made it accessible to a lot of people. I didn't know that. I know that Phil. Uh, I think Phil was a track coach. And he was trying to figure out how to 
help his runners run faster on some of the new composite tracks, as I understand it, as they got away from cinders. And, um, or maybe it was to run on cinders. <clears throat> he actually poured um, rubber into his waffle machine <laughs> and and baked the waffle pattern into, and then put it on the, basically on the bottom of it, of a, stuck it to a bottom of a regular tennis shoe to give it more traction. And, uh, and immediately the runners set new records or something like that. And Nike was born. That was my, that's my understanding of Nike, but I didn't understand the connection to the jogging, the jogging craze. And there's something to that. Okay. But then the article, in my opinion, kind of goes south. She says, current marginal behaviors, and by marginal, you know, I, I don't know what exactly she means. I don't know how you define marginal, except behaviors that aren't, that most people wouldn't do. Polyamory, which is a little bit like polygamy, except without a marriage license, so it's doubly illegal, probably. Polyamory, insect protein, which I'm not against, you know, in principle, um, but I think processing it might have some merit. I mean, I, you know, for a long time I was on um, soy-based, and then there were some concerns about soy, and so then we did animal-based protein, but it could have been insects. What do I know what it was? It was just white powder I dumped in milkshakes. Um, Quantified self-measuring you know, I get on a scale every day, so I don't know what that, how that relates. And microdosing, I asked my wife what, maybe it's dousing, maybe it's that. <laughs> I know some people get go into an ice bath every day. Maybe that's what it is, ice, ice bathing, <laughs> bathing. <laughs> some of these, I think, won't ever catch on, like that one. <laughs> Not because it isn't good for you. But it's just uh, painful. <laughs> you know, I grew up on a lake, and most of what we did was uh, ice dosing. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, you jump off the pier, and it's like, uh, I'll never forget going to the Bahamas, and you jump off the boat into the water, and there's no, like, gasping for air because <laughs> it's so cold. <laughs> and I'm talking about all through summer, almost. There's a few, a week or two maybe in the summer, if you had a hot summer, where you can dive off the boat but if you dive down more than about five feet it goes to 40 degrees or some crazy temperature so anyway she rightly points out that the, the initial adopters you know everybody looks at as crazy everybody tells you it's wrong my aunt for example way back in the 60s or 70s well it must have been 80s because <laughs> because i started you know, I became legal drinking age in the 70s and we had a few drinks, but she gave up alcohol and it was kind of um, radical, considered radical at the time. And she said she'd go to parties and everybody would keep trying to give her drinks. And finally, she learned, which is kind of typical in, in Helen's uh, article, finally, she learned that if she ordered something, if she had a, you know, a club soda with a twist of lime in it um people would quit asking her <laughs> and so she said as soon as she'd sit down she'd order something to drink something that looked a little more like a 
like a mixed drink and then people would would leave her alone but there was this there was this resistance and and she had to be pretty committed to it uh so there's um there's an intensity is needed for the behavior to gain traction and behavior even in one's own life right like if like i've been on the carnivore diet and it works extremely well for me and you know i get a, a lot of looks i've been having my blood tested no you know and it took down my triglycerides like crazy so and uh if i stick to it it i can really lose a lot of weight but even sticking to it for two or three weeks is really hard for me because i really like donuts and kringle and peanut m&ms i had yesterday and chocolate i have a sweet tooth that never quits where are we going with this okay so where i wanted to go with this article was that this is absolutely right and i'm revising my you know i'm i'm working on revising i have quite a few notes and an hour presentation on it but i'm working on revising my book spinning strong to gold and one of the things one of the things that is a pot of gold is spotting anomalies. And so I'm right on the same page with Helen. But my book focuses on anomalies where you see success in markets that were not identified prior or see failures in markets that you thought for sure were going to be the greatest. And machine learning can can give you a great leg up, leg up on identifying anomalies if you use machine learning that gives you information on what cohorts on what groups of people you're actually identifying and that's something that our our software was designed to do and most of ai is completely ignoring they want incremental benefit but they don't want to understand why which is a very, very, very dangerous place to be, right? Whereas, if you can, if you can spot anomalies, if you can spot the exceptions, some place that did really well compared to some place that did poorly. I used to tell a story about Pine Sol and a, a breakthrough of selling it to uh, to machine shops and to to uh, to car repair mechanics, you know, garages, they, we used to call them. But, you know, where they fix your engine instead of grocery stores. But I can't find any documentation on that. <laughs> I've searched and searched and searched. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's a, an urban legend. Um, but the idea is that if you can find a place, you know, for example, we sold dog grooming supplies we worked with a client that sold dog grooming supplies and when we first modeled it we found the dog the most the best customers were in upscale areas very 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 upscale areas and if you've ever seen best of show by john, with john candy you you know that that can be a thing but in the fall we saw that best of show kind of model we call it the fifi the poodle persona but in the spring, all of a sudden, it was completely opposite. It was completely downscale, low income, low education, rural, low population density. And uh, it turned out, without going into the whole story, it turned out that 
dog owners would get their dogs clipped in the spring because the weather was getting warmer. The dog was full of burrs. The dog seemed to like it and didn't care what the dog looked like. And it was a completely untapped market. They had customers, but they didn't know they were. And we had actually built a variable for them, um, which was pet stores per capita. And that pet stores per capita showed us that it was a pet store phenomenon, not a dog groomer phenomenon. And with direct mail, we were, ab we were able to treat each market separately. And so I, I heartily agree that your future, you almost never tweak your company with a little bit better mailing selection or a bit, little bit better customer segmentation or a little bit better personalization. What explodes your company, and that's what the third edition of my book is about. If you want to explode your company, you need a new idea. You need uh, a new market. You need a new product application, like the jogging with the, with the uh, cross trainers. So I agree with Helen. What I don't agree with is that for most companies, this is going to be some huge global trend emerging and that you can time that right. The data, your own first party data probably has this pot of gold that you don't know about. And that's something that we have consistently found. I'm not always sure how we find it, but there's, that's the next book. Have a great day. Merry Christmas. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart.